Will you pray with me as we begin today? Lord Jesus, you know this about us, that so often in our hearts, we let our pain and our sorrow and our loss and our grief speak to us so much more than your promises. Lord, hold up your promises before our eyes so that we can live in hope even here and even now. Amen. There is one commentator who read the text that we read today and commented, you shouldn't preach on this text on Sunday morning. It's not a good text to have preached in front of a group of people. It's too perfect. It's not real life. You know, maybe you, you could get that sense that how you, you read this text, how everything came together and how it was just so Disney, so perfect, so perfectly, precisely wrapped up. And maybe you could sense that and understand why the commentator would say that. You know, her thought is this, that this text is far too perfect, far too far away from what real life is for people to actually bring any comfort to anybody. And, and that makes sense, right? You, you wouldn't walk into a hospital and find the first bed in the ICU and read them Job chapter 42 and say, look, your life is going to get better like this too. No, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't go to your friend who was in the hospital and lost their ability to walk and say, look, if you just trust long enough, hard enough, then, then God's going to restore your walking. And you wouldn't go to the parent who's, whose child has been diagnosed with a disability and say to them, if you believe hard enough, if you persevere long enough, it'll go away. So you could understand why this commentator would say, don't preach this text. You don't want to give the impression that this is what life is like for people. It's too perfect. It's not real life. And, it, you know, we can know this. This was perfect. The, the Bible said here, the Lord restored Job's fortunes and gave him back twice as much as he had before. Right? We can go through the checklist. At the beginning of the book, Job had 3,000 camels. Now he's got 6,000. It's precise, mathematical. At the beginning, he had 7,000 sheep. Now he's got 14,000. At the beginning, he had 500 oxen and 500 donkeys. At the end, he's got 1,000. It, it's pure, mathematical, precise blessing that God is giving Job. And I, I got curious about this. I don't know if we have any farmers in the room here. But I got curious about how big Job's farm must have been to have all of these animals. And if my calculations were right and if the website that I was on knows anything at all, Job's farm would have been maybe as large as the PDX metro area. Just to be able to have all of his animals with the ability to graze and to be able to go to new pastures to be able to be healthy animals. It's ridiculous blessing that the Lord is raining down on Job. And you, you think about this, he wasn't making a rich man richer. Job was broke. He had nothing. It was all gone. And in the later part of his life, God gave Job double. Amazing, precise, perfect, mathematical 
blessing. And there are actually a lot of commentators that say this, and I I think I agree with them, that God likely doubled Job's lifetime even. You know, the Bible says that God, or that Job lived 140 more years. And so you can think about what that was like, that, that God doubled even Job's lifetime like this. Pure, precise, mathematical blessing. Even for his kids. At the beginning of the book, Job had three daughters and seven sons, and at the end of the book, Job had three daughters and seven sons. It's all just so perfect. In fact, I'm going to put this out here today that maybe it's a little bit too perfect because I think it's so perfect and so shiny and so amazing that Job 42 almost makes us forget Job 1 through 41. We almost forget about what Job went through and experienced, the, the hardship we went through, the suffering he went through, the, the turmoil he went through in his soul. I think we can pretty easily forget that, but do you think Job could forget that? Now, do you think Job, even though all of his fortune was, was brought back to him doubly, do you think that he forgot what it was like to have it taken away from him in the first place? And this section of Job, it talked about how Job's family and friends came back to him and gave him presents and ate and drank with him and comforted him. But do you think the fact that having them come back to him erased the pain of having them abandon him when he needed them the most? And probably most powerfully of all here, do you think Job's ten children that he was given after his suffering caused him to forget the ten children that he lost? Or do you think even after Job's fortunes were restored, do you think he still suffered? Do you think that there were still times on, on, on holidays and on birthday anniversaries where Job had to step away with his heart in his throat because he was remembering the children that had been taken away? Or do you think that there were moments where Job was sitting in his tent watching his children toddle around that he was remembering how his firstborn had done that too and was now gone? Do you think Job was able to just revel in all of the blessing that God had given him? Or do you think that there were moments where he wasn't able to trust the joy he was feeling because he knew better than anybody on the face of the earth how quickly it could all go away. Now, I think we can probably say with security, of course Job grieved. Of course he had those moments, and and you can feel what that's like with Job, right? You could understand that, that he was feeling that way that it was really hard for him to be able to live fully again, that it was really hard for him to be able to love deeply again, difficult to be able to laugh truly. After what he had been through, after what had happened to him. 
Now, you, would, you probably get that. There are many people in this room where you haven't maybe experienced a Job-sized loss, but you have experienced loss and pain and grief so that you understand what it's like to, to struggle, to let somebody in, to struggle to really love someone because you know how badly it hurts when that person is gone. And you know what it's like to, to have lived life fully and then something happens where it's really hard to live again. Or where you go out to that social gathering and people are laughing around you and you're laughing too, but it doesn't reach your soul, right? It's kind of what we do after hurt and after pain and after grief. We, we live a little bit less and we love more guardedly and we laugh with less truth. So you can understand where Job was at, right? Far from being the Disney tale ending, right? Of course there were days for Job where he was walking down the road and he was recognizing where the gravesite of his ten children were. It's not the Disney fairy tale ending. We remember that God doubled everything. He doubled the animals. He doubled the wealth. His friends came back to him. His, his honor came back to him. But the one thing that cannot be replaced, right? You cannot replace one child with another child. It's not a one-to-one exchange. The one thing that cannot be replaced, his children, that's what didn't get doubled. He had three daughters, seven sons at the beginning and three daughters, seven sons at the end. So, of course, Job still hurt. Now, the question then becomes, how does Job live? How can he possibly live fully? How can he possibly love deeply? How can he possibly laugh and joy profoundly in his soul? The, the answer is here in this text. That's why I've been so excited about this, this whole sermon series here. It's why this text is in the Bible. It's not here to show us just how much God can give us. It, that's not why this is here. This is here to give us a picture of post-suffering Job. You know, we get this awesome image of pre-suffering Job and mid-suffering Job. Pre-suffering Job was a nervous man. Even though he was the greatest man in all the land, he still woke up early in, in the mornings and he made sacrifices just in case his kids had made God mad. He didn't want to risk it. And then mid-suffering Job, we looked at him and we know about him that, that he was looking for answers. He was putting God on the stand. He wanted those answers. Now post-suffering Job, we could understand if that man would be a man who had a hard time living. And yet the image that we get is a man who is living fully. Living with power. Living with joy. I want to show you that this is true and then I want to show you how. The way that I want to show you that it's true is through the names of his daughters. Two reasons why we got to pay close attention to his daughters' names. One is that in the Bible, the daughters don't get named very often. They, they don't get 
uh, names hardly ever. And, and the second thing, as you read your Bibles, you can know this, that when you get a name, especially in the Old Testament, the name means something. And it almost always is a name that tells you what the dad was feeling in that moment. And so the names of Job's daughters are going to give us a direct window into what Job was feeling in his heart in that moment. So what were his daughters' names? His first daughter was named Jemima. And no, he didn't name his daughter after syrup. <laughs> you know what Jemima means? Dove. Affectionate one. His second daughter was named Keziah. You know what Keziah means? It means cinnamon. She must have been the spice of her dad's life. Third name, Karen Hapuk. This is my favorite one, even though it's a little bit tougher to translate it. Kind of literally translated it, it means little rouge pot. <laughs> Which if I can translate that a little bit more freely, blush. These are not the names of daughters of a man who is scared to love. These are not given by a man who is scarred. These are names given by a man who is recognizing the beauty of the daughters that God has given him. These are names given by a man who is overwhelmed by peace that God has brought into his life and the love that he knows is his from the Lord Almighty. And he wants to bring attention to his daughters. Did you notice how the narrator talked about this? He said, there's nobody, Miss Universe level beauty. There's nobody in the land as beautiful as Job's daughters. And then Job also drew, drew more attention. He, he gave a gift that was radically out of the normal. He included them in his inheritance. He didn't care about cultural norms because he was living joyfully and he wanted his daughters to live too and so he gave them a piece of the inheritance so they could live too. This is not a man living in fear. Do you know how he could escape from living in fear? He was living in faith. Beautiful, gorgeous faith. Let me tell you something. When you know God like Job knew God, he had seen God. And when you begin to understand just how beautiful and huge and transcendent and cosmic and omnipotent and, and all-knowing, when you start to grasp everything that God is and when you start to understand that he's bringing everything he is to bear for you, for your forgiveness, for your eternal life, when you start to understand that's who your God is for you, there is nothing that can hold down your heart. There is nothing that can take away joy. Job lived in this faith in a God who was going to care for him forever. And here's the thing about this faith. Faith is the only thing that can bring us back to life after tragedy. 
Faith is the only thing that can empower us to truly live again and, and truly love deeply again and truly laugh and joy in our souls. It's faith. Now, faith in what? I want to tell you about those 10 children that, that died. The scriptures say that everything that Job lost got doubled. You know, we, we talked about this, how 3,000 sh- camels became 6,000 sheep and 7,000 sheep became 14,000 sheep. Everything got doubled, right, except his kids. He had 10 kids before. He didn't get 20 kids after. Why not? Well, part of it is because you can't replace children. It's not a one-to-one exchange. You can't have one baby be lost and then have another one just come in and, and, and replace it perfectly. But here's the beauty. Job's children weren't replaced like the sheep were replaced. They didn't have to be. Because Job's children were never lost, not truly. They were never truly lost to Job. And Job believed that because Job believed in a God who is greater than the grave. And Job believed in a God who is stronger than death. Job believed in a God who would raise his children from death. He believed that even though those children were not with him anymore, they were with their Redeemer. He knew that those, two, those ten children were never lost. He knew that even though he was experiencing such ridiculous blessing, this wasn't his Disney ending. His Disney ending was still coming. And so he put his faith into what he knew was coming to him in the future. Heaven. A place where finally all of the grief and the pain and the suffering that he had experienced would be gone from him forever. A place where all tears, all pain, all sin will be gone. We won't even be able to remember it. Job looked forward to that place where he, as a father of ten children who had died, where he would be reunited with them at last. That's faith in our God, Jesus. Job needed that place (laughs) because he knew that this wasn't his Disney ending, right? We talked about this commentator who said this, this account is too Disney, but anyone who says that this account is too Disney has not read the final verse of the book. You know what the final verse of the book says? Job died. That's not Disney. It's not happily ever after. 
So what that is, is it's a, it's a reality check for us, right? It's, it's a really valuable reality check for us so that we can know without a shadow of a doubt what the content of our hope is. Right? We are not people who hope that God is going to double everything for us. We are not people who hope that, that God is going to rain down blessings on us like Job. We are people who hope in a real life, a full life, a deep love, a joy that goes all the way through our souls. And people of hope, I guarantee that that life is yours in Jesus. In Jesus. Who suffered way more than Job suffered for us. Who died and who rose. You know why he did it. He suffered so that our suffering would finally end. You know, how many times can I say that phrase to you before you get tired of it, right? He suffered so that your suffering will finally end. He died so that your death will not be the end of the story, but just the beginning. He rose to guarantee that you will rise and live forever. I'm calling you to believe that this morning. calling you to believe Jesus is your Savior. Though we were lost in sin, yet Jesus came to be one of us to save us from our sin and to bring us home to heaven. We can live in that faith. Now today I've been preaching, I've just been trying to get out as much truth as I can to you. I haven't been preaching for for application so much today and so I'm going to ask you to apply this to yourselves. I don't know what this is going to look like for you. You're probably not going to go home and rename your daughter Karen Hapuk. You don't have to do that. (laughs) But you can, in Jesus, live fully Love deeply, laugh and joy all the way down into your soul. So maybe for you that means sticking around after church a little bit longer, investing a little bit more in that relationship. Maybe it means getting involved with the growth group, right? It's not too late to get involved. Maybe, maybe it just means going home and smiling. <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about, a real, true smile. because you know you can. You know that the hope that you have is never going to let you down. It's not too Disney. It's not too perfect. In Jesus, you know that way that all the fairy tales end, that cliche, it's finally going to come true. Because in Jesus, because of what he's done, you will live happily, joyfully, ever after. Amen.